Kia ora koutou. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Uh, Johnny O'Donnell is on the panel for the first time, uh, Motueka or Nelson-based, and Alexia Russell with me in the Auckland studio here. Uh, and uh, as you can imagine, big response to this uh, topic here. Let's kick off with it. No place is immune from the youth wave crime, or the youth crime wave, but some are being hit harder than others. Uh, Christopher Luxon said, enough is enough. So youth crime, boot camps, military academies, electronic monitoring could all be on the cards. Ankle bracelets on youth offenders possibly 10 and up. That would include youth offender military academies. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to create youth offender military academies. And the reason is we want these academies to be for young offenders aged 15 to 17 and a judge can send them there for up to 12 months. And the whole point is that these um, youth offender military academies are going to be a total circuit breaker. And they are there to provide intense, structured programs, including schooling, mentoring, drug and alcohol treatment, but in a very, very disciplined environment. So a lot of response. Yes to boot camps, no to instant coffee, says Sue. Uh, another one here says, no, it's been tried in so many countries, never worked. So I thought, well, what's, a, what's an organisation who deals uh, with people, young and otherwise, who do go through challenges in their life? And Outward Bound came to mind. So CEO Melindy McLean is with us. Kia ora, Melindy. Kia ora, voila. So here we have this uh, new $25 million a year policy for, uh, you know, combating youth crime, I guess. Complex um, uh, situation, complex solution. At first glance, how do you view this? Yeah, the, the, the tough on crime or, or circuit breaker approach, it often sounds really simple, uh, but it really is. And so the, the first glance of, of this, where we're talking about boot camps and military style Academies um, feels like an oversimplification of of, of the problem. Uh, from our perspective, we've got a long history of looking at um, the learnings from the traditional military model and applying them in a more compassionate way at outward right. Yeah. So the devil, the devil. For me, the devil will be yeah. in the detail of this. Yeah. So tell me more about that, Melanie. So you take aspects of um, uh, a, a milita- military aspect, and uh, and you what? You, you you reformulate that or repackage that? What do you do? Well, Outward Bound was founded off the back of, of uh, World War Two, in, in, in uh, by a, a guy called Kurt Hahn, and it was it was based on the traditional military model, but in the recognition that that wasn't really working, and, and Kurt Hahn was an early oh. proponent of what we now call resilience. Uh, and the key change or the key difference is the sort of addition of compassion and empathy uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a really essential ingredient for creating well-integrated members of society. So this, um, this approach, you know, that Christopher Luxon's announcement did have elements of that, uh, you know, hinted to, and, and that would be the thing that would make it a very compelling argument. Okay, so devil's in the detail. Here's one here. Uh, team, many years ago, a friend of mine who was 16 at the time stole a bike. As a result, he was sponsored by his employer uh, to the Outward Bound course. It changed his life. Uh, and I have heard many stories. One of my closest friends who was actually really going off the rails at 15, in fact, he was at a crossroads, went on Outward Bound, and he said it was the most significant thing that's happened in his life. He's now um, in his late 40s, which is why he brought you on, Melindy. Um and some might say, look, what this represents, uh, and I guess what <clears throat> National is pointing toward, is putting some sort of 
structure around a young person's life, some boundaries, some rules. It's hard to argue with that. It's very hard to argue with that. And, you know, I think, I think your stories are, are really relevant and, and, and we hear those all the time about um, outward bound changing people's lives. And, and, and the difference is outward bound is not for youth offenders. We're not, we're yeah. not there for, um, for the same type of young people that National is particularly trying to target with this policy. We, we sort of take the approach that all young people are at risk in some way and, you know, actually treating the, the problem rather than the symptom uh, is, is where we play. Uh, so, so I think it's great that there is recognition of the learnings of experiential education being an effective tool for young people's development. Uh, and and you know, dis- discipline, is, discipline is, is, is a very helpful ingredient. We know that these recipes work, but it has to be um, based on a compassionate or empathetic model. And, and you know, it's less, in our view, it would be less about consequences and more about intervention and support to help these young people right. become well-integrated members. Stay there, Melinda. Let's go on the panel on this. Johnny. Yeah, I mean, I just thought this was so yawn. Um, you know, na- National have a reasonably good chance of winning the next election, but they're going to have to start coming out with some original ideas. The last time they had a crack at this was in um, 2017. Uh, when they were last in government, they um, they had a look at this, and their own chief science advisor uh, not only advised that these programs are pretty ineffective, but actually sometimes increase crime. So the evidence is not in favour of them, and I'm actually surprised from a, a National Party where actually the message that came I read from today's announcements was the state knows best because instead of just backing great organisations like Outward Bound and EWI around the country and supporting those community organisations with the funding they desperately need, they've gone for a centralised programme run by the Ministry of Justice and the Defence Force. It's just crazy. All right. I couldn't agree more. Uh, okay, Alexia. Yeah, I mean, this is a policy so old it's got toxic mould on it, let's face it, it's, and it has never worked in the past. Um, but, um, you know, what Melody was saying about the Albert Bound course bringing structure and, and all those wonderful things that it tells you about your life. Isn't that the key point? I see part of that as the key point. It's those boundaries. Yes, it's those rules. These it's that children, structure. Yeah, these children who are getting into trouble don't have that. So what I like about the policy announcement today, though, is a bit that's been kind of missed, and that's that funding community groups, including iwi and those providing rehabilitation programs and assigning the blah, 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 blah um, to intensive support to help their reintegration back into the community. Why not use that money and do it before these kids? Yeah, so that was glossed over that. uh, That was was glossed over that um, part, Melinda. So that's that's an aspect of the announcement. The twenty five million buck announcement that perhaps could be. uh, You might even be recipient of it. Well, well, with twenty five million, you know, we would put our hand up and say we could uh, put more than ten percent of school leavers through an outward bound program uh, with with that kind of funding, which would which would you know do the circuit breaker effect that uh, Christopher Luxon is talking about. But but it, it, I think I think what I said before about the devil being in the detail, you know, that the New Zealand Defence Force has significant expertise in using experiential education for personal development. So my hope is that. The way that this program would be designed would, yes, have those those very sexy things that sound great in an announcement about discipline and um, you know all of the, the kind of good military training, but would also have those other things that we know really, really work for driving long-term change in young people, like compassion, connection to values, empathy, um, how to how to work with other people and live amongst other people. Yeah, Melinda, do you think though that for. outsourcing child youth crime to the army is appropriate? It's an interesting um, uh, question. It, the, uh, there are a number of ex-outward-bound 
uh, instructors who actually, most of the staff at the Army Leadership Centre in Burnham have been Outward Bound instructors. And so I naturally have a huge faith mm. in their ability to work um, in this space. But it, there, you know, it is, it is a, there's an ethical question in that as well around um, the, the fit for, for how we outsource that. So interesting, Melinda. Uh, I'd love to talk more about that. But uh, for now, kia ora. Thank you for your time. Kia ora. Uh, that is uh, the Outward Bound CEO, Melinda McLean. Text just come through. Uh, the NZDF is not an effing babysitting service. They're understaffed and underpaid in every unit in all three services. Uh, really interesting response. A huge response on that, as you can imagine. So I really appreciate you. Uh, your um, feedback on that, 2101 by text. You can email me, the panel at rnz.co.nz. Now, a toolkit to help overcome sexual harassment and bullying in the trades has been launched this afternoon. It's one of the obstacles for women pursuing it as a career. With us is plumber, gas fitter, and drain layer Billy uh, McDonnell. Billy, kia ora. Hi. How are you? I'm good, how are you? It's a lovely to have you on the show, Billy. Tell me about your experience here. Uh, how did you get into uh, the trades, Billy? So my dad is a plumber gas fitter and I ended up doing helping him out after I finished school and decided that I just it looked easy enough and I wanted to do an apprenticeship. Would you say that you've been treated differently because you're a woman in the trades? Um, yes. There's obviously good and bad aspects of that. Um, people think that you need hand to carry stuff when, you know, I'm strong enough and I can actually carry it by myself. But then, it's, yeah, well, obviously there's other good aspects of it. Yeah. Um, in terms of other issues, there's been talk of harassment on work size, bullying. But also, one, one other thing, Billy, that came out was actually just being respected on site. What of that? Yeah, um, obviously every woman has their own journey in the trades. Um, there's positives, there's negatives. Um, some people have amazing time, some people, they, they struggle. Um, there's obviously, unfortunately, there's always comments that get made um, and I've learned to grow a thick skin and just soldier on. Um, it is an issue that people do do have um but yeah 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 interesting isn't it that the construction industry has been trying to get more women into trades forever and you know while they say there's like five percent or something it's actually like 2.6 percent on the tools so you'll very rarely ever see a female tradie which is a bit sad um billy can i ask you is it the issues you mainly get the comments you mainly get are they from other tradies or are they from people whose um you know houses you're at doing work um, so it's usually from like other um, other trades in that because the boys that I work with are usually like you know it's it's all real respectful or it's joking around and like we do it all the all the time, but um, yeah, it's usually from my like, other trades I'm working with. It's not really a big reach, is it, to um, work out why the tradie apprentice tradies are high on the suicide list? That bullying mm. is. Legendary, right? Yeah. Hey, yeah. Billy, uh, kia ora, uh, and thank you very much for being with us on the panel. I really appreciate it. That's right. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. That's uh, Billy McDonnell here, who is a plumber, gas fitter, and drain layer. And with us now is Andrew Bellamy, Wood Solutions General Manager. Kia ora, Andrew. 
G'day, how are you? Good, thank you, Andrew. Now, one of the things that you do, what sort of I mean, you do your commercial drawingry and build installation, kitchen drawingry. You employ quite a number of women. Um, yeah, so we have a team of um, of twenty four in total, um, and now I'm proud to say that we've got a third of that team are, um, are made up wow. of females, which is. Um, that's great, and we're striving to make that even bigger. Yeah, and was that a process over the years? Did you was that a was that by design? You thought, okay, we need to have it open to you know to 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 to, to all uh, who want to apply. Um, it has been a process over a number of years. Um, about twenty three, twenty four years ago, now a female tradeswoman who was really, um, I suppose, was bucking the trend back in those days, um, approached us through an, um, an ad that we had put in. Um, and at the time, I was a production manager and um, spent quite a bit of time with the senior team just discussing bringing a female into that trade-based environment. And, you know, this is a couple of decades ago. And and we mulled it over for quite some time. Um, about six months later, um, once she had come onto the team, we noticed that a lot of our other staff were actually pulling their socks up a wee bit because they had this female that was nipping at their heels and in a lot of cases was passing them. <laughs> From that point on, I've um, yeah, had um, quite a number of girls work for us over the years and um, to some of the roles where one of my top performers in the team now is um, is actually, she did her apprenticeship with us, she topped her course at um at Polytech and is now in one of the key roles within the business as a detailer. We've got um, a few just absolutely wonderful ladies working for us as, as apprentices, so it's ex- exciting times. Yeah, yeah. Kia ora, Andrew. Now, uh, Johnny. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a look at these guidelines and, you know, at first glance I thought it's a little bit embarrassing um, that we need to explain these simple things, but the one that, that stood out to me was the culture shift required around calling it out. Um, you know, clearly this behaviour is uh, totally unacceptable, um, but the culture shift will truly come from that social pressure of when our um, perhaps strange culture of what's normal and what's acceptable and altered or in particular amongst men needs to shift, and that'll come from peer pressure, um, unfortunately from other men, I think, and so that these guidelines, I think, you know, excellent. Hopefully, uh, I think the whole country could do with a behaviour change campaign around this, not just construction and trades. Well, yeah, we've got a text here just going through. Wallace, as a woman in my 20s, I gave the trades a go. Uh, a near 20 years ago, so a while ago, and I wanted to learn to build. I was completely disrespected on sites and at work, and actually I left for a new direction in the end. So, Andrew, we're hoping that it's getting better since 20 years ago. Huge work to do. Um, in terms of women in the workplace, in terms of um, uh, on site, um, you know, great to work with, great to work alongside. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the females that we've had over the years and the females that we've got on our team, um, they are um, they're very passionate about what they do. In joinery and in our trade, is very much attention to detail. It's very much um, care and that that needs to be taken, both with using machinery, with using plant, um, and, and that they, they tend to... Us fellas, we, we tend to take the instruction book, we throw it aside and we just work it out ourselves or make it up as we go along. The girls are great when it comes to the technical um, stuff. We're tending to throw it at them to, um, to resolve some of those issues and that. So they're really becoming problem solvers within our team and that as well. You know, I'd like to, and I hear 
a couple of things there from Billy, the earlier caller, and you know from the text that you've just got on and uh, that you've just had come through. And it is quite disappointing that we are still seeing it in the workplace and we are still um, experiencing it within the industry. Uh, I think the culture is definitely shifting. Um, it's shifting much too slowly. Um, and I have a lot of talks with employers who are at the, at the um, stage that I was 20-odd years ago. Right possibly taking on a female and it's just trying to coach them through you will not regret it and um, you know I hope to some of those females that have spent some time in the trades that maybe they might look at it as a career path um, in the future because I'd like to think that that, that it has changed in the last couple of decades. That's great Andrew what, what, can, I, can I ask um, what the, you've had a look at these guidelines um, what do they mean to you what, what sort of application do you think they'll have to a business like yours? Yeah, I've, I've only briefly had a look at it, um, and that's so for us, um, yeah, the guidelines I think are just pointing out to people, you know, what is some good practices and some good behaviour, and some of the excuses that I've heard over the years of why not to take a female on into a role and all the rest of it are, are pitiful excuses, I think, and are just coming from fear of um, introducing a female into um, you know, a male-dominated culture. Alexia? Yeah, my best mate about 40 years ago became an electrician, sparking, and she got those guys to pull their socks up, that's for sure. In fact, she was the first tradie they had. Remember that program on TV that used to follow the tradies around with the secret cameras and yes. watch them? She was the first one who did everything right and didn't raid the undie drawer. <laughs> I remember so, that program. That's 40 years what was ago. It called again? Yeah. yeah, I can't remember. But I mean, you know, that is the key, isn't it? The, the guys do pull their socks up, and, and how fantastic is that? And let's hope the ABs can take a note out of that. Yes. Maybe they could pull their socks up. Hey, yeah. getting very political this <laughs> afternoon, Lexia. Very good. And, uh, hey, Andrew, kia ora. Lovely to have you on the program. Thanks and keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Andrew Bellamy there, Wood Solutions General Manager, talking about um, women in trades there. Uh, by the way, here's one. Um, where and when did the term tradies enter the lexicon, says Ian, the electrician from Hamilton? I personally hate the term. I don't know why, but I'm very pleased to hear the interviewees in the article refraining from using the term. Well, what should I, they be? Tradespeople. Tradesmen. Tradespeople. Mm. Tradies? Anyway, yeah. 26 past four, the panel. Now, yesterday on the show... Instant coffee. Um, I wasn't convinced it was any good. I asked whether it was coffee. Maureen put me in my place. She said, of course it is. Don't be patronising. So many texts came in that instant coffee was invented in Invercargill. It was invented in Invercargill? And I thought, well, I've got to get, get to the bottom of this. So with us is Southland Museum manager Wayne Marriott. Wayne, lovely to have you on. Great. Thanks, Wallace. This cannot be correct. Instant cargo, instant coffee from Invercargill? Instant cargo. Instant cargo. <laughs> Look, instant cargo is a new word for it, but seriously, um, instant coffee for the world was invented and patented in Invercargill, um, January 1889. Wow. Did you know that, Johnny? I had no idea. Did you know that, Alexia? Well, yeah, because I googled it. Oh, uh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm just amazed. We did a thing around the staff room here. Hamish over there. He said it was Hamish said instant coffee. Uh, Alaska, um, Canada. He said the last place we would have thought was in Chicago. What's the story? Well, the story was a guy called David Strang. He turned up here from Glasgow um, as a, a young teenager here in 1863. 
and went into business. He'd worked in a coffee warehouse in Glasgow, and he was always trying to improve processes. So um, we know that uh, he did one of the first air-heating roasteries uh, here in Invercargill in the 1870s, and he was actually classified and touted as one of the few people at the time who was not um, adulterating brick dust into cinnamon or putting uh. wood ash into pepper. So he had, a, he had a pretty good reputation. So he kept playing around with a few things, looked at what had happened with cocoa nibs. And we know that um, C.J. Van Houten, back in 1828, had developed instant cocoa powder. So he looked at that as a theory and then started, obviously, working on, on coffee. And so by 1889, he was able to patent his new soluble coffee. Amazing, isn't it, here? The instant coffee came from this country. Is it amazing or is it strange and curious? <laughs> well, it's both, though, isn't it? It's, it's, <laughs> it's strange and curious, but we celebrate the things like um, uh, lemon and pie or great, but we don't celebrate the that's invention good. that's really sort of um, ramped across the world. Instant coffee was from Invercargill. Is this why do you think our coffee development has streaks ahead of the rest of the world and that why now? you can get a, the best coffee in the world here. I wonder, Wayne. Well, it's, it's probably one of the reasons. And we now look at a place like Invercargill and we see new roasteries starting as well. So that whole history of coffee is coming alive again uh, here in Invercargill. And we're working towards a new museum project at the moment, um, 1225, which is going to be the new version of the Southland Museum and Art Gallery. Oh, fantastic. We're looking at celebrating... Um, David Strang and, and many of his inventions, as well as our other inventors down here, because we've had quite a few of them over the years. Such as? Well, let's, let's look at Godwood. He's the one that put the kink in the hairpin, so it actually stayed in. Oh, so, so sorry. Sorry. <laughs> now you forget instant coffee. You've blown my mind. Well, what about what, the world's fastest what? Indian? Yeah, we all know that. <laughs> I want to know about the kink in the hairpin. Can you just repeat oh. what you just said? <laughs> So there was a guy called um, E.R. Godwood, and what he did was he took a woman's hat pin and simply twisted a kink into it, which became the first hat pin that ever actually stayed in your hat and in your hair. So he invented that. He made a heck of a lot of money out of it, but he also invented another, a number of other uh, products for women. Um, 1920s, uh, absolutely amazing uh, individual. Um, Quite a colourful character, and he's going to be one of the stories we're going to tell. So you're saying the crink in the hairpin came from Invercargill? The kink in the hairpin came from Invercargill. And you can prove that? We actually have some of his original um, kinky hairpins, for want of another word, sitting here in the museum collection. Oh, They're amazing. It's a great country, isn't it, Johnny? This interview's been good for Invercargill, I think. We've got a new name. We've got Instacargill. I think you should double down on that. And I don't <laughs> think anyone listening outside of Southland knew that kinks emerged from uh, Southland as well. So mind, you've, you've, yeah. you've blown our minds. Good things come from Southland. I want to know, with climate change, when will Invercargill be growing coffee beans? That's a whole other panel, Alexia. Thank you for looking ahead on the show. Hey, Wayne, it's been enlightening talking to you. Look forward to the development of the museum. Great. Thanks, Wallace. Thank you. Southland Museum Manager Wayne Marriott. There you heard it there first. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, World Fastest Indian. Absolutely love the movie, love the story. But Crinks in the Hairpin? Outstanding. That's something else. I love Invercargill. They've got the best botanic way? gardens there, the Queen's you're uh, thinking, Gardens. You're thinking of the Hamilton Gardens. No, I'm not. <laughs>
and nice wide streets. And no. Gargoyle has really nice wide streets. I agree. Well, they're wide. Yeah, they are wide. Yeah. Anyway, you're on the panel, RNZ National, Johnny O'Donnell and Alexi Russell with me this afternoon. It's time for headlines.